You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season four, episode 14. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Kilns College. Kilns College offers an affordable one-year online graduate certificate in theology, arts, and culture. Connect with creatives from all over the world exploring restorative justice through the arts. Visit kilnscollege.org to learn more. Pianist and composer Chad Lawson is a classical musician whose career has visited byways of various musical genres, including jazz, Latin, film scores, and experimental music. Chad's compositions have been featured in countless films and television shows, such as The Walking Dead, Vampire Diaries, and the award-winning podcast Lore with Aaron Mankey. I was able to catch up with Chad in his home studio in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I spoke with him about his background as a musician, what motivates his work, and how his journey has led him to the poetic and meditative feel of his current musical expressions. Chad and I recorded an additional segment on his advice to up-and-coming independent artists who are seeking to build their work into a sustainable career. This segment is available to the patrons of our podcast and can be accessed from makersandmystics.com or in the link in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, before we get to the interview, I wanted to let you know tickets for the 2019 The Breath in the Clay Creative Arts Gathering are on sale at an early bird price until December 31st. Links to these tickets are on makersandmystics.com and the show notes of this episode. This is my interview with composer Chad Lawson. Well, Chad, thank you so much for joining me on Makers and Mystics. It's an honor to finally have you on the show. Thank you, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we've only been trying for about a year and a half, maybe. <laughs> it's finally come together. Yeah. All the stars have aligned. Yes, finally. So... Uh, for you guys listening, I'm sitting in Chad Lawson's studio here in Charlotte, North Carolina, with his beautiful Steinway piano and all of the magic that he makes with his music here. And uh, I'm excited to talk with you today about the work you're doing. Yeah, oh, thanks. I appreciate being here. And honestly, I think most of the magic is just the oil diffuser that I'm that you're smelling. That's probably what it is. That is a big part of it. Yeah. That was the first yeah. thing that let me know I was in a good space. And and the counterculture coffee. Not Absolutely. that I'm trying to like, you know, fish for an endorsement <laughs> <laughs> or anything. Yeah, but. yeah. Well, we could fish. I'll fish yeah, as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we start uh, and just let the audience know some about who you are and, and your background. Sure, sure. Um, so I'm a composer pianist. Um, I started at the age of five. Uh, I did not grow up in a musical environment at all. Um, but there used to be a television show back in the day. This is back in the early 80s called Shanana. And so Shanana basically was like a doo-wop band that had a television show. And, you know, as a family, we would sit around and we would watch this every week. And I'll never forget, there was this one guy who was just having the time of his life and he was playing an instrument I had never seen before and it was a piano. Hmm. And I was just completely awestruck by it. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Mm. 
So my folks rented a piano because who's going to believe a five-year-old? And, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, that was 38 years ago. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm 43 and I still take lessons and still trying to figure out what these these keys do. Yeah. So um, I was brought up classically trained. Uh, and then right around my late teens, I was approached by a local wedding corporate kind of band that said, hey, do you want to make some cash playing some music? And I was like, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> and so they were like, all right, great. Here's a set list. You know, here are the songs to learn. And, you know, coming from classical music, I, I really knew none of the songs. Mm-hmm. You know? And it was like Stevie Wonder and The Police and CCR. And it's like all this stuff I'd never heard of before. And I'm like, whoa, what is this? Yeah. You know, and it just opened a whole new avenue wow. of, of music for me. Yeah. You know, yeah, and then at that point, I was, I was like, "This is it. This is, this is, this is what I want to do." You know, I was like, "How can I do this as a career?" And come to find out, there is this thing, such as being a studio musician. And I'm like, <laughs> "Wait, what?" So, and, and that was, so that was like, that was, you know, the golden ticket for me. That was like, okay, this is what I've, I really want to do with my life. Yeah, because you know? I was on this trajectory of going to Peabody Conservatory up in Baltimore. And once I started digging in more and more to the studio stuff, um, my direction turned towards Berklee College of Music. And so I went there for two years and I was in the studio at all hours of the night. My grades reflected that fact mm. <laughs> um, because my grades were just horrible. But I was in the studio yeah. and I was doing exactly what I wanted to do. you know. And, and my goal was I wanted for someone to be able to throw anything in front of me and for me to be able to, regardless of style or Mm -hmm. or what have you, uh, play it. And um, eventually I started getting phone calls from the studios outside of Berkeley and doing sessions. And I'm like, what am I doing? Why Mm. am I, you know, failing classes right now to be doing something I'm starting to get calls for outside? And uh, much to my mother's chagrin, I I dropped out. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, I never, I never went back. You know, I never, you know, I've never graduated. So I had two years of college and uh, at Berkeley, and then just started playing music. Yeah, and currently you're doing a lot of film composition. How did you get into that initially? Yeah, honestly, you know, I love scoring for film and television, and I, I think what happened was. You know, I waited tables for fifteen years, right? I mean, that's the plight of of a musician. You have a you have a stake in one hand, you have a promo pack in the other, and you're constantly, <laughs> you know, looking for that next gig. And you know, there was a season where I was touring with Julio Iglesias, and so like on a Friday night, you'd be in front of like thirty five thousand people, mm-hmm. and then on Monday, you're taking someone's steak order, you know, because it's just <laughs> like wow. complete, you know, complete dichotomy. Yeah. And I was like, this isn't really sustainable. You know, and and so there's got to be a better way of doing this. And it was when my wife and I found out we were literally the day of that we were going to have another child or second child. I got laid off from a job here in town. I was a video editor and the the place closed up. And so I'm like, this is crazy. You know, what am I doing? And so at that point, I was like, you know what? I need to find another source of income doing music that isn't hourly and the way it's you know compensated, and so that's what drew me to film and licensing. And you know, my father is a furniture designer, and he told me when I was really young, he said, "You have to learn how to make money while you sleep," mm-hmm. and that really stuck with me. Yeah. And so I was like, "Okay, I'm going to make a, a a deal to myself. I'm going to make a pact 
that I'm going to get up every morning at 4.45 and I'm going to create an email template and an Excel spreadsheet. And I had a quota of every single day of how many people I was going to write. And so I would just Google music licensing or licensing catalogs or just anything I could find that mm-hmm. would you know, potentially be like a sync house, um, synchronization house. And so I had a quota every day. And so I would do this every day relentlessly. Wow. And for six months, there was never a response. Mm-hmm. Like no, or there was like no thanks, you know. And the email was like a very call and response kind of thing. So I like I knew who I was emailing because I'm a research junkie. I actually <laughs> enjoy that immensely. And so the email would say, "Hey, who in your office can I actually forward this to?" And nine times out of ten, it was usually them. Yeah. And they would you know write back and say, "Stop harassing us." Um, <laughs> and then and so you know during all of this i, w- I was um, still creating just some music just for the fun of it and i'd created for a friend of mine he had a little project and he needed some acoustic guitar i don't play guitar but i had a great keyboard that made a decent guitar sound and so <laughs> i made some stuff for him and so i finally get this email from this guy in la and he goes hey i need more of your stuff i'm like oh cool he's like yeah he's like i think i have a placement for it so I sent him like you know all my piano music and everything, and he's like, no, 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 you, you, the, the acoustic stuff, the guitar stuff. I need more of your guitar stuff. <laughs> and I was like, I said, man, that's a keyboard. <laughs> and he goes, I don't care. I just need more of it. Send me some more. <laughs> so I, I went and I created some more, and he got about three or four placements on MTV's Teen Mom Two. <laughs> I didn't even realize there was one a teen mom and the fact that I actually went to second series you know wow um, so that was my first placement so honestly so what I did with that is then I went back and all of those people that either didn't respond or they replied no and the subject of the email I, I wrote them in a new email stating you know featured artists on MTV yeah you know or something you know and, and so I have like the story that I use where it's, it's like that's your Willy Wonka golden ticket mm-hmm. no matter how big or small it is mm-hmm. you, you take that ticket and you go and you wave it in front of anyone's face that'll mm-hmm. look at you mm-hmm. right and so it was like I had something on MTV that's something yeah right no matter you know how relative the, the, the show was um, and from that there were some replies that were like oh okay well let me see mm-hmm. you know and so from that eventually came the walking dead mm-hmm. you know licensing and then licensing for um just some other shows uh, vampire diaries and then there was a really cool show on viceland called black market which was a really really cool show mm-hmm. and they actually used one of my pieces for the theme for the show mm-hmm. and so that was like you know really good and so i'm seeing where like Wait a minute. I'm actually getting money right now while I'm like on a run, mm-hmm. you know, or while I'm like, you know, spending time with my family or, or whatever. And so that really was kind of like a eureka moment for me where I'm mm-hmm. like, ah, man, I really wish someone would have told me about this earlier. I'm really interested to know what is your relationship to the visual when you're composing? Um, It's not the initial step. Uh, Initially, when I'm working with someone, I will ask the director, and this annoys them to no end, but I will say, summarize 
what you're trying to say in one word with this piece, be it a commercial, be it you know a nonprofit or whatever, in one word. And they're like, well, let me tell you the story. I'm like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Telling the story is only going to confuse me. You know, right. here's a boy. You know, he's going through this. You know, coming yeah. of age, and then all of a sudden this happens. I'm like, wait, I just got lost. So I'm like, you know. If you can put this all in one word, and the better the word that you give me, the better the score is going to be. So yeah. don't be lazy about this. And then once I have that word, I actually will, um, before I read the script, before I see anything, I'll just start sitting down and writing for that one word, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, it kind of works the same way with, with lore, and we can get back to this. So there's a, there's a podcast called Lore, L-O-R-E. And the premise is, it's the history of folklore. And so all of this stuff is actually factual, which is pretty messed up if you actually go and listen to it. <laughs> right. um, and so even though I write the music for the podcast, actually I don't listen to the podcast, um, which I, I prefer because it creeps me out. <laughs> um, but so with, with Aaron, I'll just say, hey, with this podcast, with this episode, um, give me one word to describe it. And he'll say, outcast. I'll be like, great. That's, that's all I need. I'm, I'm just going to write music for Outcast, And then I'll just get into my mental state or whatever, where I'm just like, man, if I were an outcast, what would I be going through right now? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so when I'm working with, you know, for, for visual, it's kind of the same thing. I'll kind of get a place where I have somewhat of a vibe or somewhat of a, a theme or mood or what have you. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll read the script and then I'll see if that kind of works and that kind of ebbs and flows with certain characters or what have you and then I'll, I'll do a little bit more writing as far as some themes are concerned and then I'll see the picture and I know some composers they actually sit at the piano hit play and they're recording along for the very first time as they're watching mm -hmm. it and that, I think that's great I mean that's that's awesome for them to do that I know John Lund um, he and I were talking about this he does all the music for Downton Abbey and he just turns on a keyboard with piano and strings and just goes for it mm -hmm. and that's awesome for him um i personally don't work that way i actually like to write things out mm -hmm. um with you know pencil and, and paper on notation um and just i'm a huge melody person i mm -hmm. love melodies and so for me personally i'll start with a melody and then i'll see who i can adapt that melody to once i'm mm -hmm. watching something wow so. that's interesting because it kind of lends itself to the interpretive nature of art mm. in, in some ways because you ask for a word right and then whatever this evokes in you and then later you're putting it to the to the visual and seeing how it matches up i think that's a that's a fascinating process a buddy of mine he's a great film director his name is miles matsuno and he sent me this piece recently and he was like hey if you were to score this you know what would you think and so he didn't send me a script or anything like that it was just a visual and so I'm watching this, and it was basically the history of the Japanese entrapments back in California, like because his family um, is of that heritage, and they were one of the very first families that had to deal with this, unfortunately. So he sends me this piece, and it's this little documentary that he made about it. And I said, man, I said, you know, as I'm watching this, I finished watching it, and I sent him a text, and I said, hey, what's your word for this? Hmm. Like, what's your one word? And this is like a dark period, mm -hmm. you know, in the American history. And he said, happiness. And I was like, that is the last word I would have thought of. There were elements. And, I, and then actually going back and looking at it, I see where like he 
was planting those seeds. Mm-hmm. I was just saying, hey, you know what? They were making the best with things. And, you know, eventually they, they, they held out and this is where we are, you know, now. But that was, that was really such a surprise, hmm. you know? And so, like, I can only imagine had he told me the word prior to mm-hmm. my seeing it, if I would have written music for happiness, I wonder if it would have worked. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying, like, my process is always right, because I, I don't know if that would have worked in that case. Yeah. You know? So I think it's one of those things where it's like, you you write something and then you see it and be like, it's not going to work. I'm going to do something else. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So just making sure you're not married to something just out of stubbornness more than, yeah. you know, yeah. what, the, what the art is. Yeah. Well, I've listened to a lot of your work that you've put out. And first of all, I'm a fan. I love it. (laughs) I really appreciate that. But it strikes me as really meditative Mm -hmm. and contemplative. It's instrumental, but yet it has uh, such a depth of it's, uh, when I listen to it, I hear words in the Mm -hmm. sense of poetry. It's Mm -hmm. it, it. it evokes a sense of poetry. And I know you've referred to your music as meditative. Can you tell me a bit about your relationship with your own work and kind of what's at the heart of that? Yeah, I mean, that's, um, thank you. It's very kind of you, by the way. Um, it's pretty layered. So I, I grew up, even though classically trained and then went to Berkeley, I eventually found jazz, mm-hmm. um, which is a very, and I don't mean this in a negative way, um, it just didn't fit my personality, but it's a very let me show you what I can do kind of music, mm-hmm. which is great. You know, if you if you want to pursue that, which for me it was a little difficult because I was constantly in that mode of, is this entertaining? Am I playing fast enough? Am I mm-hmm. you know you know playing better than this other pianist? And that really went against everything in my in my nature. Yeah, and so I wanted to really just pull away from that. And so I, I really, in 2013, I did an album called The Space Between. Mm-hmm. And that album had multiple factors with it. So, uh, and I'll, I'll get to the other one in just a second, but that album was really where I found my identity as you know, a composer, as a pianist or an artist or whatever, um, because there's so much space in that album, mm-hmm. right? So like there were times when I was recording and I would play a chord and then I would take a nap in between each note, right? Because like there was so much space. And I remember telling myself once, I was just like, oh, this is too slow. So this is gonna be boring to people, you know? Mm. And then the other side, the other person on my shoulder was just like, why are you rushing this? <laughs> take your time with this, mm-hmm. be okay with it and just be yourself. And that really was the turning point. I, um, I don't think only musically, but also emotionally, as far as like how I write music, of just being okay with it. Yeah, you know, and also another factor with that that album, the space between. At the time, I was um, scoring for a short film for Jared Hogan, actually, when he was doing a piece, and <laughs> and at the time, the the piano was inside the house, and again, you know, we had two small children, and so at night, I would put felt between the strings and the hammer to to quiet and to quiet the, the sound of the piano, the, the noise, the volume of the piano. And so Jared came over to, to hear what I had been working on and I had forgotten that the felt was actually engaged. And I struck the chord and I was like, ah. and he, he was like, that's amazing. <laughs> that sound is just unbelievable. I was like, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. You know, that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's kind of what I was going for, you know? <laughs> Right. And he was like, just keep doing it. Just keep, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. And, I, and so he left and I was like, 
holy wow, this is nuts. I've been playing piano my entire life and I've never heard a piano like this before. And so I literally wrote that album in a day with the exception of one song, which I wrote the following day. And then I recorded that album the, the, the following day mm -hmm. because I was like so inspired by like this new sound of just the, this felt between the, the strings and the hammers. And what it did is it gave it this really dark, muted, long overtones. Like these overtones that were so big you could take a nap on. Mm. And that really inspired me. Mm -hmm. Just because it, it it really spoke to my nature. Yeah. You know, it spoke to the quiet, the introverted um, <laughs> sound that I am. I'm yeah. not a loud person. Yeah. You know? And so from I think from 2013 on, you know, I've done a couple albums with, you know, the felt. And um it's it's been really interesting to explore with it. Well, you've also done some experimentation with with loops and some electronics or, you know, adding different elements, uh, just more experimental in that way as well, which I think the felt would would lend itself to an experimental approach yeah, 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 approach yeah. to it. But tell me some about the album Repiano. Yeah, of course. Thanks for asking. So I've been seeing a lot more iPads on stage than I have pianos lately. <laughs> and that really concerns me. Uh -huh. Um you know, most of the most of the venues I play are in Europe, and a lot of times they're festivals, and you know they're they're younger rock clubs, rock bands, and rock festivals and stuff that they they pair, and it's been really fascinating to see like these unbelievable musicians and what they can do with an iPad, but I think in all of this we're losing the identity of what a piano is. Mm. You know, the piano is something that's at grandma's house that holds a bunch of dusty framed photos, and that's really the extent of it. And, um, you know, to no fault of their own, as far as what I, I've nicknamed the Spotify generation, I mean, these are younger musicians, younger people that haven't really grown up with the piano in the house. Um, and so what I wanted to say was, hey, here's a really cool instrument. Let's make some really neat effects and some loops and some layers using only the piano um, and doing it live. Because here's what I found uh, personally, and again, this is just my, my take on it. If a young person were to see someone walk out on stage and play the most ridiculous rock modern off or what have you piece on the piano, they would say, wow, that's really amazing. I will never be able to do that. You know, and so it's almost kind of like a, a letdown in a roundabout way. Now, if someone were to walk out with an iPad, already their interest is peaked because that's something that they've you know, grown up since the day they were born with. You know, my five-year-old and eight-year-old, they can just run circles around me right now with iPads. <laughs> and so if you if you walk out on stage with something that's familiar to them, already their interest is there. And so what I do live and, and what I did with this album is I'm actually running the piano through Ableton Live, and then I'm controlling Ableton Live through uh, the iPad using uh, the app called Touchable, which is a great app, by the way. And, um, and it's really fascinating because what happens is I'll start something with the piano, um, I'll start a loop, and then I'll just go and I'll just build layers upon layers upon layers with uh, using just the piano. And so that was, that was the mindset of like, what can we do to 
rejuvenate interest in this instrument. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been really surprising, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. been really, really surprising. Steinway actually um, post, posted the video uh, on their Twitter feed and their Instagram feed. And I was like, oh, no, I'm about to get reamed <laughs> completely with all the comments, you know? <laughs> and the comments, they were, they, were so, they were so nice. They were like, wow, this is really cool. This is really mm. fascinating. There wasn't one negative comment. And then at the very bottom, I see one. I'm like, oh, of course there is. <laughs> and this guy goes, this older gentleman, he said, it's just noise. And then someone replied to him and said, yeah, and we love it. <laughs> and I was like, that's awesome. You know, yeah. that's the whole idea is, to, is to, to spark a conversation. Yeah. You know, I was just saying, hey, let's at least dialogue about this. Doesn't mean you have to like it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, if you like my music, that's amazing. If you don't like my music, that's fine too. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of music out there. Yeah. You know? And, and I'm, I'm not foolish to think that everyone's going to like my stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so with that album, it was a lot of fun of just being able to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to do something really creative and just see kind of what happens. Because honestly, truth be told, um, I knew nothing about the effects I was working with, right? <laughs> so like, I was like, oh, what's this? What is a high pass filter? Oh, that sounds kind of cool. Okay. Yeah. And I'm sure there's many things that I was using incorrectly, mm-hmm. um, but it just kind of worked out. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. It was a fun album to make. I mean, and, and that's why we do music to begin with. It's that's because right. it's fun. That's right. Yeah. It is fascinating to me that you've recorded music for Lore, mm-hmm. uh, for The Walking Dead, yeah. and for The Vampire Diaries. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what's funny? There's a, there's a really cool company called Output, and Output makes some really amazing libraries, uh-huh. uh, music libraries. And so they had an open post looking to hire some people to help them create some libraries. And one of the questions... Um, happened to be, what are some of the composers that influence you? And my buddy that works there, he took a screenshot and he sent it to me because this guy's application goes, I really love, and it was like all these horror films and everything. <laughs> and he was just like, you know, and my name was in there, you know, uh-huh. films such as like Amity and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Chad Lawson. And I'm like, <laughs> no, you know, it's like, yeah. I don't want to be known as that guy that writes creepy stuff. Yeah, you know? see, I expected to see like lots of skulls on the wall <laughs> and like, you know. Uh, that stuff just <laughs> me out. And I think that's actually why um, why it does so well, because it does creep me out, yeah. you know? But also, the, the odd thing about writing music for Lore or for Unobscured, uh, which is another really cool podcast that mm-hmm. Aaron did uh, along with um, How Stuff Works, is you can't make it creepy, musically speaking, because like the content is creepy enough to where it's like they've got that part taken care of. And so if I just try to add creepier things to it, it's going to fall flat. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I try to do is I actually try to add a bed of almost like this comforting under bedding that goes along with this. Because like there is that element of like, wow, that's pretty messed up. This is actual you know, historical stuff that really happened. And I think if you focus so much on that, that you're just gonna be like, I, I can't listen to this because it's so, it's so bizarre, mm-hmm. right? It's so almost inhumane, right? 
But if there is some music that's underneath this, that's almost kind of comforting, kind of soothing, kind of saying, hey, we'll get through this together, um, then I think it kind of works, mm-hmm. you know? And the, the funny thing is, you know, the, the way it started out with Lore is um, I had found out that Aaron Mankey was going to do a live reading of in Maine or somewhere. And I'd never heard of the show. And this is actually after he had about four or five episodes in. And so I reached out to him and said, hey, I'd be happy to come up and, and play live while you're doing the reading. And he was like, you know, he's like, the room is about the size of a twin mattress. Um, so let's <laughs> let's do it next time and uh, let's just keep in touch. And But what he initially was using music-wise was music from my Chopin variations, which I was just like, Wow, I never would have put that together. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he was actually like the genius behind it, as far as like creating the style of this. And it's been it's been very interesting to see how other podcasts now and how other. I'm not saying I had anything to do with it. It's just been very interesting to see how large Aaron's audience is and the following that he has. How it has kind of stretched into in various other places. And I just happen to be a part of it. So mm-hmm. I'm not claiming any, you know, mm-hmm. anything with this. Um, but it's been really interesting to see how something that I did as an ode to Chopin is now like, oh, we're going to talk about, you know, the history of spiritualism. You know, it's just like, how does this, how does this work? <laughs> right. you know? I know this is a very long, long-winded answer to, to a, a question that... Um, you may not have even been asking, so, to be honest. <laughs> but that's kind of how it all came about with Lore yeah. and Unobscured. Yeah. And then with the most recent Lore album, so every year around Halloween, we do an annual album of the music that's been in the podcast. And so the last two years we did, the very first year was called uh, Dark Conclusion. And then the second year was called A Grave Mistake. And then this most recent one, which is also the piano, is called Home Sweet Home, which I really had fun doing because Aaron actually, and Aaron, if you're listening to this, I mean this in the best of ways. Um, he he actually doesn't like strings in the podcast because they get in the way mm. of his VO, and I, I get it. I mean, the frequencies are all over the place, and so with this last release, Home Sweet Home, I decided to go ahead and just make it easy for him and just do all solo piano, so he doesn't have to like edit things out and worry about things. And I I, I really, I mean, for me, writing music for for what you know, Aaron's projects and this kind of nature of things, it's just really, honestly, it's my jam. It just fits who I am personality-wise. You know, mm-hmm. if you listen to Home Sweet Home, it's very meditative. It's very methodical. It's just very chill. This is very ambient. It's just, it's quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, and and a little while ago, you you mentioned the whole meditative state. You know, the way I approach the music, the way I approach the piano, at least solo piano stuff and the stuff that I write is it's worship Mm. and i've always viewed it that way Mm -hmm. right it's not about you know i i joke when i when i when i say this to people but i actually really mean it was i've chosen the wrong career as someone who tries to avoid the spotlight you Mm. know that's just i would rather just sit and just play piano in a room by myself all day but no one's gonna you know buy my albums if i don't release them (laughs) (laughs) Or, or or play live shows but it's worship to me. Mm-hmm. And regardless of if there are lyrics you know, or not in the album, that's how I view it. And, and I will say the amount of people that email me that aren't familiar with who I am as a person or where my faith is, 
it's been very interesting for them to write and say, I don't really know what it is about your music, mm -hmm. but when I when I listen to it, mm -hmm. there's something I can't explain. Mm -hmm. That has nothing to do with me mm -hmm. at all. Yeah, That is just totally what worship is meant to be, mm. right? So like music is meant to be an avenue of prayer. Mm -hmm. You know, years ago I did a recording called Song of Prayer. And the reason that all came about is I was in a recording session in Seattle. I was recording an album called The Piano and then also a solo piano Christmas. Um, I was recording those two albums. And then a friend of mine, a prayer intercessor, came over and said, hey man, let me just walk around the room and just pray and why don't you just play something? Mm -hmm. You know, so it was completely unscripted, unplanned. And he said, sure. And so we hit record. He walked around just praying. And 23 minutes later, the prayer ended. Mm. And I wanted to make that as, I, I wish I could have made it free on iTunes, but they, mm -hmm. so, um, but they wouldn't allow it. So they, I made it as cheap as I could and as cheap as I could on Amazon. And it's actually free on my website. So if you go to my website, you can actually download songs, Song of Prayer for free because that's, I wanted it to be an avenue of worship. Mm -hmm. And I was just completely surprised by the emails that I get mm -hmm. of saying, you know, hey, we had this on when our baby was born in the delivery room, you know, <laughs> or I put this on, I had one pastor write and he was like, I actually play this behind my sermons when mm -hmm. I speak, you know? Mm. So it's like, how can you not expect music to have such, um, be such a vessel, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. as much as like a painting mm -hmm. or poetry mm. or, even accounting. I mean, it, it, there's there's worship and everything. It's just a matter of us saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to acknowledge this and I'm going to realize that it's not about me and that the, the end result is for God to be glorified, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you go back and you'll look at, you know, what Bach used to say, and that was exactly it. Mm -hmm. whole purpose of music is to glorify Christ, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But with that, not being overly blatant, not being, you know, shouting in your face, mm -hmm just letting it speak and happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and it took me a long time to be okay with my my style of music being what it is, being meditative in the sense of like, it's not party music, you know? <laughs> like if, you, if, if, if I were to show you my stats on, you know, Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, Monday through Friday, they're like as high as the clouds. But like come Friday afternoon, they plummet <laughs> like a rock, you know? This is like, nobody wants to listen to this stuff on the weekend. But come Sunday, you know, afternoon, yeah. they go back up again. Yeah. Because it's music that people are reading to or they're studying with yeah. or just, you know, that they're listening to while they're at work and they yeah. don't want to be. You know, yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I, you know, being a musician myself, I really just love how, your instrumental music speaks as a language, and it and I think music does that in in its own way. Like, you know, I'm not so sure that I I subscribe to the music as a universal language, right. you know, right. but it it is a language that can transcend words. It's a language that can transcend our mind and yeah. even our agreements and reach us on a deeper level. And I definitely find that in your music for sure. So I appreciate that yeah. very much. Well, Chad, I've enjoyed this conversation thoroughly, and I'm so appreciative that you took the time to be on the show. 
Man, this has been fun. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to come here. Yeah, no, this has been amazing. Uh, love the conversation. Love the music that you're writing, and and uh, glad we got to catch up. Thank you very much, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. You can find links to Chad Lawson's music and to ways to connect with the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective in the show notes of this episode and on makersandmystics.com. You can also find us at instagram.com slash makersandmystics. We'll see you again next week with one of our artist profile episodes.